Good evening, church. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading there in just a moment. I want us to, as I mentioned last week, what I want to do on Sunday nights through this series, and, and if you're wondering how long are we going to do this, I, I don't have an answer. Uh, somebody asked me recently back in the media suite, how many of these are we going to do so that they could label it just right on the, on the media, on the website? And I said, I don't know. So we're going to add that part later. So, but each week as we look at a different uh, facet of what it means to abide in Christ, I want to come back on Sunday night, and I want to do it this evening, and, and apply that to us as a community of Christians. What does it mean to, as an individual, abide in Christ, and then when we come together, what does that mean? And so Jesus said, you're, you're a branch and I'm a vine. And so what does that mean when you put a bunch of branches together that are tied into the vine? What happens to that church that, that understands that's who they are? Uh, how do we function differently, especially when it comes to our group life, as we have groups of Bible study groups and prayer groups and different kinds of groups throughout the life of the church? So the title tonight, and this is a very simple message. I don't have a lot of notes. This is uh, for some of you, it may be basic, but for some of you, I think it, it may be new. The inner life and spiritual community is what I want us to talk about tonight. When I first became a Christian, uh, next year will be 40 years. When I first became a Christian in high school, it was in the context of a, of a small Southern Baptist mission in Southeast Dayton, Ohio. And a large Sunday was 18 people. We met in a storefront, and, and when I came to know Christ, I could not wait to be with that group of people on Sunday morning. There were only two other teenagers in the group. The rest of them were all adults with small children or something, so there were three youth. It was a big youth group. We didn't have a youth director. We didn't have any of that. Just three of us. We barely had a translation of the Bible we could understand. And, and I was so excited on Sunday morning to get to be with that community of Christians. And then we would come back again on Sunday night. Now, before I was a Christian, I thought Baptists were really weird. And no comment beyond that. But I thought they were strange because they were always going to church, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And the tradition I grew up in, you just, you know, once a week and you're done. But Baptists were always going, well, after I became a Christian, I couldn't wait for Sunday night. Boy, we get to do it again. And we're going to read the Word. And I get to be around these other people, this Christian community. And then we would meet on Wednesday night. And I couldn't wait for Wednesday night. And back then we had a thing called on Sunday night before church, we had discipleship training or training union. And we would, we would study there as well. We would learn something practical related to what it means to be a Christian. And I couldn't wait to be a part of that. Now, I, I loved the Bible study and I loved what I was learning. But let me tell you what I really loved also. I loved being around other Christians. Because I knew what had happened to me. My life had changed. And to me, it was a miracle, and I got to hang out with other miracles. 
Just a bunch of miracles on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. And I couldn't wait to hang out with those miracles. Some of those people have been miracles for a long time. And I enjoyed hanging out with those people because I learned a lot by listening to them. When I got out of high school, a few months after I became a Christian, I went to college, went to the University of Texas. And in my dorm room, um, we started a Bible study. Didn't know what I was doing. If we had Google, we would have Googled our questions as we went through the Bible. Of course, nothing like that existed. Google was a mathematical concept. And, and after a while, this little Bible study in my dorm room, I had, it was in the baseball dorm, so I had a baseball player or two in there. I had a, there was a girl there from the marching band. She came. Uh, there were two or three other guys from a nearby military base in Austin. They came. And we were just a, a motley crew of, of miracles that were meeting to read the Bible. And didn't have a clue what we were doing, but we were reading the Bible and we were encouraging each other and we'd pray for each other. And, and I couldn't wait for that Bible study to happen. On weekends, I would drive down to San Antonio where there was a church and I had become part of that church and they, they licensed me to ministry. There were six other guys that summer that were licensed to preach at the same time, seven of us. It was an unusual time, not just for that church, but in Southern Baptist life, there were just a, there was a, God was doing a lot with young adults and with, with students. It's just a remarkable time. I could not wait to go to Sunday school on Sunday morning and drive the hour and a half or whatever it was from Austin down to, to San Antonio. I could not wait. Why? Because I got to hang out with other miracles. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't correct, but we had... In our youth group, we had third graders and people in their 20s, nurses and people from the Randolph Air Base and Fort Sam and places like that, all in the same youth group. On Friday nights, we would meet in the youth pastor's home. He would sit in a chair and teach a scripture. It was just incredible. And there would be 100, 125 of us in our youth group, sitting in the floor of the living room, sitting on the floor of the kitchen, sitting up and down the hallways of the house. It wasn't a big house. Sitting in the bedrooms, leaning out of the bathroom, listening. Then somebody would get their guitar and they would play a music. And, and, you know, in hindsight, the songs weren't musically wonderful. But we thought they were amazing. And we would sing songs about Jesus. And then we would pray, and everybody in the house would pray. One by one by one. You better get a good position because everything goes to sleep when you're sitting that long in one position. I was so excited because I was hanging out with a bunch of miracles. I, couldn't, I could hardly contain myself. And, and, and I still get excited to come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and Wednesday night, because I get to hang out with a bunch of miracles. Do you have that kind of excitement about the community that you're part of? I believe the Lord wants us to. I remember times when I was bivocational about 25 years ago for a while in South Louisiana, and 
working for an engineering firm. It was tough work, long days. And I would come in on Wednesday night to prayer meeting. And uh, later that church took me out of the engineering world, just put me on staff full time. But I renamed Wednesday night, I called it the Oasis. Because when a guy or a gal's been plugging away all week to walk in that prayer meeting with other Christians, with other miracles, it was like finding water in the desert for a thirsty man. Do you feel that way about your community? Do you, do you look forward to the refreshing that God gives you? Do you understand how that happens or why that's happening? I want us to look at that for just a few moments. Uh, John 15, 4 is the verse that I read this morning. It says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. The only thing is, he says that to every Christian. And so imagine what it's like if every Christian does this. If every Christian were to, to really get a hold of the inner man and what Jesus wants to accomplish there from this morning, and, and if every Christian got a, got a picture of that, and we had not only time alone with God in the morning or at night or whenever you do it, not only had time alone with God, but that as you left that time, you realize that he's always with you. And that in the middle of any conversation, any activity, at any point in your day, you not only is he available to you, but he wants you to come to him. He wants you to do everything with the relationship to him. So what if everybody lives that way? What if all the Christians in your community are living that way? And, and this is really what, what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking about a spiritual community of people and, and how they got to be that community, how that happened that they became part of this group. A number of years ago, uh, probably 20, close to 20 years ago now, uh, Larry Crabb, who's a Christian psychologist, wrote a book called The Safest Place on Earth. I recommend it. The Safest Place on Earth. He had spent years as a counselor, uh, had taken the truth of God's Word and used it to understand his profession and had applied it to, um, to his work. But he had reached a point about 20 years ago where he didn't quit counseling, but he took an entirely different approach. And began to understand that in every person, this is how he talks about it, in every person you have a lower room and an upper room. Now we talk about the flesh and the spirit, but he talked about a lower room and an upper room. In the lower room is where all your baggage is. Anybody have baggage? <laughs> Do we need to vote on that? I got baggage, everybody has baggage, okay? And your baggage consists of things, uh, memories, hurts, uh, trained responses that you've carried. And that, that lower room, that's where a lot of people spend their time when they go counseling, is dealing with their lower room, all the stuff that's there. It can be helpful to people. He said that the plan in the New Testament is entirely different. He wants you to graduate and just completely move to another place. He wants you to move from that lower room to an upper room. You know what the upper room is? what we talked about this morning. It's that inner life, that relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus inside your soul. 
where any time, day or night, you can turn to him and know that he's there, know that he's waiting, and you can have communion with him, and you can have conversation with him. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, if anybody had baggage, for example, he had it, didn't he? I mean, he killed Christians. He beat, beat people. He hurt people. And he became a Christian. If anybody was a candidate to be in counseling a long time, <laughs> it was the Apostle Paul. But, but he was transformed. And, and he had a past, but that's not where he lived. He went to that upper room. Well, Larry Crabb's argument in this book is that one of the best places for people to grow and to learn how to walk with God is not as much in a one-on-one session, although there's value to that, but he found, and, and even people in secular fields had found, that if you can plug somebody into a healthy group environment, to a healthy group, a spiritually alive group of people, miracles, if you can plug somebody in with a bunch of miracles, then what they discover is unconditional love. As the Holy Spirit works through that group and dwells in that group, they discover unconditional love. Yeah, I got baggage. And yeah, we recognize that you have baggage, but we also recognize what you can be in Christ. And that, and that group emphasizes, this is what you can be in Christ. We're going to focus on that. And so in that environment where there's unconditional acceptance and love, people can be transparent, they can be honest, it becomes safe. If I get into a group and it's not safe, you know what I start doing? I present a false face to you. I don't present everything to you if it's not safe. If I think you're going to hurt me, if I think you're going to wound me, if I think you're going to talk about me, I'm just not going to tell you the, the stuff in the lower room. And so I just sort of chop myself up and just put the pieces out that I feel safe sharing with you. So he argued that when a group is filled with miracles, people who are growing, he doesn't use that word miracles, but when people who, are, who understand the upper room encounter with Christ, who walk with him, who understand abiding with him, that when somebody comes into a group like that, it is the safest place on earth. And dear ones, it is intoxicating to hurting people to come into an environment like that where you are accepted no matter what you have done or how you have failed or how you have blown it. The inner life and spiritual community, what is it? What is it? I've got seven things I want to share, and I'm basing this on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And we're just going to sort of read through this. I'm going to make a comment, read through it, and um, we'll probably get you out early tonight. I heard that. <laughs> a spiritual community is a group of people, number one, who lived in a world of labels and lust. Who lived in a world of labels and lust. If you look at the opening verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians, the Bible says, and this is not on the screen, you'll need to follow along in your Bible, Ephesians 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That verse is saying that every person without Christ is under the influence of at least one demon. You talk about spiritual warfare, this verse just loaded you up. 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, you're influenced by the world, but also according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You know the ancient Christian baptism? Up into the late 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, when you became a Christian and you got ready to be baptized? And, and, you know, we ask, who is Jesus to you? And we say, Jesus is Lord. That's part of the ancient Christian confession. But by the 3rd and 4th century, they had expanded it. One of the other things you had to do was renounce the devil and the world. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm also renouncing the devil and the world. They saw baptism not just as an initiation into the, into the church. They saw it as an exorcism. That was free. Verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, all of us once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So every spiritual community of people started there. That is true of every spiritual community. If Wind Baptist Church is a spiritual community, every member of that community, heaven, He talks about salvation in uh, verses 4 through 10 and how God saved us by grace. And then he says something interesting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh. How many of you are Gentiles? I think it's unanimous. Some of y'all, are you Jewish? Therefore, remember that you who once were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, they, they had a name for you. You were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. And so we lived in a world, before we became a spiritual community, we lived in a world filled with labels and lust. Well, you're a Gentile. And don't even, you, you start stepping in ethnicity. You talk about labels. Well, we live in a nation split over labels related to ethnicity, aren't we? But it's nothing new. It's as old as humanity. Thought I was going to say mankind, didn't you? It's as old as humanity. And, and we all come from that background. So if I come to the church and I don't recognize that that is supposed to be in my past and I bring that into the fellowship, do you see how seriously, really quickly, I can pollute a fellowship? Just me. Because I'm living out of that lower room where all the baggage is. And, uh, and I can begin to think in terms of labels. And I can think in terms of divisions, and I can think in terms of my agenda and what I want, my desires. In James chapter 4, it says, where do wars come from? It, well, it comes from desires or wars in your members, it says. And the whole reason that there's division in a church, he's to the table. I start dealing with somebody, and, and their agenda is different than mine. And so I decide I can't hang out with that person because they want to do one thing and I want to do something else. And it really bothers me. And so I step back from that person and maybe they step back from me. And then I turn to somebody else. I'm looking for a sympathetic ear. 
And I turn to them and I say, you know, old, old Joe up there, he, he thinks such and such, such and such. And uh, I think he's wrong. And I just found a partner when they said, yeah, I think, you're, I think that's right. I think they're wrong. And suddenly I can, take, I, can, I can be consoled by my new friend. And this thing that was supposed to be a spiritual community suddenly becomes smaller groups with separate agendas. That's not what the Lord Jesus had in mind. That's not what Paul's describing here. He's saying, yeah, you come from that, but that's not where you live. You're done with that. That's over. We don't have a separate agenda. There's only one agenda, whatever it's on his heart. There's no more white, black, red, yellow. There's no more of the, all the labels that divide us in our culture or society. We're done with that. When you come to church, you're supposed to be done with that. And if you're not, got some growing up to do, sir. Spiritual community is a group of people who lived in a world of labels and lust. Secondly, a spiritual community is a group who had no hope and no relationship to God. They had no hope and no relationship to God. Look at verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and stranging the world. A spiritual community is one in which people come and they never, ever, ever forget what it means to be lost. Now, I know some of us came to know Christ when we were children. And, and we may not have as clear a picture in our mind of what it means to be lost. We should understand it biblically. And knowing that God was gracious and saved me at a young age, I was 17. I knew what I had been doing. But some of us were saved as itty-bitties. But we should never forget that we were once lost and what it means to be lost. If we, if we lose sight of that, where we came from, if we lose sight of the fact that we were once lost, that we were without God, that we had no hope, that we were going straight to hell, do not pass go. I mean, that was it. We were, we were dead. We, were, we were, had nothing to hang on to. Nothing to expect except eternal darkness when we died. Alienated from the life of God. If we forget that, we become a club. We just become a club. And it's nice to get some new members in our club once in a while. And our whole perspective of what we are as a spiritual community, as an instrument of God in this world to rescue the perishing, we lose that when we forget that we were once lost. A spiritual community is thirdly a group of people who start out as sinners in need of a Savior. That's where it all begins. We start out as sinners in need of a Savior. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. People with every kind of label you can imagine, every kind of background, people who once were lost, and the realization that you and I have to carry if we're going to be a spiritual community 
is that it took the same blood of Jesus to save me as it did any other sinner on the planet. There's no such thing as a good sinner and a bad sinner. We used to talk to churches when I was at the state convention. We would talk to them about reaching the lost in their community. And in order to help them understand what that would mean for them as a church, it means that, that you're going to reach some people who aren't like the people who are already in your church. They may be pretty rough compared to the people in the church. They may, they may use coarse language. They may not dress well. They may not have good social skills. They may not smell good. They may have moral backgrounds that just may be incredibly disturbing to you. And what we used to say to them is, if you're going to reach the lost, you need to understand that all the good sinners have already been reached. All that's left are the bad sinners. And I can never forget that I'm lost. I can never forget that it took the same blood of Jesus to save me as it does in my mind, the worst sinner on the planet. And one of the neat things about Paul is he always thought he was the worst sinner on the planet. That's probably not a bad attitude to adopt. A spiritual community is also, number four, those who have become one people in Christ. Let me just read this, verses 14 to 17. For he himself is our peace, who has made both, Gentile and Jew, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the created himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and to those who were near, Jews. We have become one people in Christ. And so as a church, uh, when, I, when I moved here, I first started coming here five years ago in November. When I first came here, I had never lived in a farming community. I grew up on military bases. Um, I had pastored in a small community. My first pastorate was in Dumas, Mississippi. If you ever been there, you got lost or you're related to somebody. And I don't have any family here in Wynn. Physical family, genetic family. And what, what he's driving home here is that you've got people from extremely, widely different backgrounds, and he has made them one people. How did he do that? Well, what Paul describes here is that the way he did that is through his own body on the cross. He died for their sins. And then he comes and he unites us to himself, just like branches in the vine. And as you become attached to Jesus, as you become rooted in Jesus, you become a part of a community. And dear ones, that community is not just one Baptist church, is it? That community includes brothers and sisters in Texas, in Wyoming, in Washington, in Zambia, in South Asia, 
we're part of the same family. And he's made us one. And so we're one people in Christ. And we talked about this last week, that we have an organic unity. That not only are we one with Christ, but we are members of one another. You remember that? We are members of one another. And so, once I understand that you're my brother in Christ, you're my sister in Christ, my behavior towards you is not optional. The Bible spells it out. You're a part of me. And whatever I do to you, I am literally doing to myself. Number five, a spiritual community is a group of people who enjoy the same access to the Father. I love verse 18. For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This is the inner life. This is what we're talking about this morning. Through him, Jesus, we have access by one spirit to the Father, the same Father. And so that brother that's praying right now on the far side of the planet, that person who's crying out for God to help them in South Texas because of floods, whatever that brother or sister is, wherever they are on the planet, at this very moment, we are, we are experiencing the inner life. That person is crying out to the Father. If you're here tonight, you're hurting, you're crying out to the Father. You're crying out to the Father. You're doing it in the same way that they are. And so you have an inner life. They have an inner life. And there's this connection that we share, but he says, for through him, we have both access by one spirit to the Father, the same Father. There aren't 20 fathers, 30, 40, just one. A spiritual community is also number six, a group of people who leave worldly divisions at the door. Verse 19, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so this is where he makes it just crystal clear. Whatever baggage you had, whatever was in your past, whatever you, you become part of the community, that's over. And the Bible and the New Testament is really strong about that. Now, we're different. But the Bible says we should celebrate those differences. The differences should never threaten you. The differences should never be a wedge between you. Uh, you have differing gifts. You have differing abilities. You have differing perspectives. But as far as those differences causing any kind of breach in your unity with Jesus or your unity with one another, we leave that at the door. It doesn't matter. Rich, poor, smart, doesn't matter what color you are, and doesn't matter what clique you're a part of either. Either in the church or outside the community, that should not belong in the body of Christ. A spiritual community is also Finally, number seven, a group of people who are becoming a dwelling place for God. We talked this morning about how the Holy Spirit is working in you to create a temple where God can dwell. But that same thing is happening in the church. Look at verse 21. In whom, it's talking about Jesus, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Not only are you individually a temple of God, 
but the church is a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So not only are you as an individual a dwelling place of God through the Spirit, but we are as a community a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now we get a hint of this in the Gospels when Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I also. I'm in the midst of them. He says that. But Paul takes it even further. He says, you're like a temple. He is building us. That's where he wants to take us as a group. I don't know what your thoughts are about what we need to be doing as a church, but I can tell you where he wants to take us. He wants to make us one habitation for the presence of God. A place where God's presence can dwell. What's that going to take? What has to happen? Well, we spend a lot of time talking about the inner life and the and a spiritual community. But if we're ever going to be a spiritual community, if we're going to be all that He wants us to be as a church, guess where it starts? I'm pointing at me. I hope you're pointing at yourself. Because it starts with you as an individual. When he comes in and he creates this sacred place inside of your soul where it's just you and him and you can anytime turn to him and, and draw near to him and abide in him, talk to him, the more that you do that, we're going to talk about this in coming weeks on Sunday morning, but the more that you do that, you change. The more that you talk to him, the more he becomes part of your daily life, the more he becomes intermingled with your thoughts as you go through life, the more that happens, the more you're going to step away from things that you have no business being a part of, the more you begin to, to find a, a new capacity to say no to sin, And what happens is the Holy Spirit takes this temple. He's cleaning it out. The more you abide, the more he's cleaning. House. You can't draw near to God and have a holy God draw near to you and stay the same. And so he begins to do business with you as an individual, doesn't he? I've got you say, man, I've got to deal with this thing that I've done or I've got to deal with this these relationships, or I got to deal with this attitude, or I got to deal with this practice that nobody knows about, but I'm keeping it up in my life. I got to deal with this stuff. And you discover that the more I walk with him, the more I commune with him, sin just doesn't suit me. And so he begins to clean the temple. Guess what he does to a community? that he's forming into a temple. As we draw near to him as individuals and as we do it as a community, he's going to clean the community also. He'll begin to address issues in the fellowship, things that may have been there a long time, things that have not pleased him. It would open the door a little bit wider for the lost community to meet the spiritual community and win. 
That's got to start with me. And it's got to start with you as an individual. You can't affect the whole church, but you can affect yourself, can't you? You can do business with the Lord. And so tonight, as we respond to him, how's your temple? How's your individual temple? Is my life a place where it's very easy for the Lord to come and and for me to, to talk to him? Or am I hiding from him? You know, it's really silly to try to hide from God. Am I engaged in something in my thinking or my, my habits or my activity? And I'm saying every time I do it, it's like, God, just don't look at me right now. Aren't you tired of that? Nobody may ever know about it but you and the Lord, but aren't you tired of that? Just because no one else knows? Don't you feel the the pressure of the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, I didn't make you for this son. I didn't make you for this daughter. Do you feel that pressure? Well, if we want our community to be white hot for the Lord, it's got to start here. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Let me pray for us. If you need to know Jesus tonight, you don't know him, your sins haven't been forgiven and you came here tonight, and you're beginning to realize, man, I want this relationship, Pastor, that you're talking about. I want to invite you, when we stand and sing, would you just come, whether you're in the balcony or downstairs, just come. I'll be here. There'll be other pastors standing down front, given, and how this new life begins. Brothers and sisters, how has God spoken to you? If the entire future of this church depended on your, your heart and your relationship to God, what would you need to address next? You don't have to make anything up. The Holy Spirit, he has a marvelous way of touching us, showing us what we need to deal with, doesn't he? You know why? It's because you're a miracle. I love hanging out with miracles, don't you? If God's speaking to your heart tonight, dear one, that's a miracle. Would you say yes to him? Say, oh, Lord, I'm done with it. I I know what you're saying to me, and I want to put that thing away. 